Church podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel? Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him, heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Do you believe that repetition is the mother of learning? That if you want someone to remember something and to learn something that you have them do it over and over and over again? I would argue that God teaches that way. And, And so today, as we start with Good Friday, I take you back to a lesson that Jesus taught to his people for 2,000 years. 2,000 years, again and again, teaching the same lesson, generation after generation, so that they would get the lesson. (laughs) We are good to go? All right. And we're awake. uh, But he taught this lesson over 2,000 years, and so... Maybe this is something that you already know. I need to remind you of today because we need context for Good Friday. We really do. And so I need you to go back 2,000 years to a place called Mount Moriah, which is actually a place that would later be known as Jerusalem and Mount Zion. It was Mount Moriah that, that Abraham had to travel to, three days' journey with his son Isaac. And that's after the Lord had told him, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac on the mountain that I tell you about, and I need you to go there. And so Abraham went, and he, and he took Isaac with him. And remember that, that he had three days to think about it. And as they were, were getting everything ready for the sacrifice, and I, Isaac and Abraham were going up on this mountain, and Isaac asked, but where's the lamb? said, the Lord will provide sacrifice. And as he went and and as Abraham followed God's command and as he made the altar and as he tied his son up and as he got the knife ready to kill him as the Lord had commanded him to do, it was then that 
God stopped him and said, Abraham, what are you doing? Doing what you told me to do, God. Leave the boy alone. And that's when the Lord offered a substitute. He offered a lamb. Instead, sacrifice the lamb instead of your son. And the lesson was started. The lesson of this idea of substitution, that instead of an individual dying for their own sins, that what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb and understand the idea of substitution. And that became the centerpiece of their faith. And so they would go and they would offer sacrifices. Go 500 years ahead to the time of Moses. And it was the time of the Passover. And again, as God was leading his people, he needed to remind them of this truth that was so important to their salvation and so important to their relationship with him. And so on the day of the Passover, on the day when it would be the death of the firstborn, he told them, what I need you to do is I need you to get a lamb. A lamb without blemish or defect, a perfect lamb. And that lamb is going to die so that your firstborn does not die. So they, they, they tied up the lamb. They slit its throat and they caught its blood and they put the blood over the door frames of their house so that when the angel of death came over, the firstborn would not die. And so they again learned the lesson of substitution. This went on for 1,500 years. They celebrated the Passover. On top of that, in the book of Leviticus, God made it clear that he wanted burnt offerings, that he wanted sin offerings, that he wanted guilt offerings. So when you talk about the fact that you are full of sin, and when you talk about the things that you had done, that you needed to come and you needed to confess those sins, and when you confess them, you didn't just come in and confess them and they would be all gone. But they would need to be paid for. They would need to be atoned for. And so you would bring with you a lamb. Again, for 1,500 years, Josephus was a historian at the time of Jesus, not a Christian, but, but a, a Jewish historian, estimated that there were 25,000 lambs killed on every Passover. 25,000. Do you think maybe God was trying to teach them a lesson? And, and again, as you think about this, I don't want to gross anyone out. And so when I got the picture of the lamb, I got one that's not bloody, and I got one that's still alive. But I am telling you that, that if you do things like, like I did, I, I still remember vividly when I was 14 years old and I went hunting with my dad for the first time. And he, and he got a deer. And, and after you get a deer, you have to gut it. And just watching in horror at, at what was going on. Oh my goodness, something that was just alive is now dead. Barbaric? Crude? Yeah. All of those things. And, and so you can imagine that as these boys, and, and it was usually about 12 years old, 12 to 14 years old, when they would make their first trip to Jerusalem and they would go with the lamb and probably a lamb that was raised on their farm and one that they were familiar with, that they would stand there and they would watch as their father explained to them why the priest had to kill it and why the priest needed to die. 
This isn't for anyone else. This is for our family. This is for the sins we have committed. This is for the way that you treated your brother and didn't listen to your mother and don't listen to me. These are the sins that we're talking about. It's part of who you are. And I know that as your father because I gave it to you. It's that sin that's passed from generation to generation. And that is why the lamb needs to die. And so, if you know that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I don't want to be the lamb of God. Because the lamb dies. The lamb dies every time. The lamb is the one that will go to the slaughter. And in essence, with those words, he was not only pointing him out as the Christ, he was pointing him out as the one who needed to die. And so as you think about Jewish religion that I've covered now in five minutes, that God covered in 2,000 years, that is the picture. It is a picture of a lamb, of a substitute that needed to die. But on this day, as Jesus is going to the cross, the idea of substitution, that concept was going to be fulfilled. There's a hymn that I remember learning as a child. And, and it, says, it goes something like this. It goes like, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altar slain could for a single sin atone or wipe out its guilty stain. All of those sacrifices and the blood of those lambs did absolutely no good. They had one purpose. And that purpose was to teach the concept of substitution that someone needed to die for sin. And on this day, that was going to happen. And so as Jesus is on the cross, and as Jesus is hanging there, and he yells out the question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand that Jesus was not asking that question for his own benefit, but he was asking it for you to answer. My God, my God, why are you forsaking Jesus? This makes no sense to us. Why would you forsake your son? Why would you forsake the perfect one, the only one who ever lived perfectly, the sinless son of God? This makes no sense to us unless we look at it in the context of 2,000 years of history of substitution, at which time it makes perfect sense. Good Friday is tough. It is tough. And it's a message that is harsh. And before I talk to you about what it was like in an old west town or what it was like in Jerusalem when when the Roman government would put people to death and they would let everyone see it so that you would be warned, this is how we treat people who act this way. This is the punishment for a criminal. This is the punishment for a murderer. God did the same thing for you. That as we see Jesus, it could have been me up there. And God could have said, that is how I treat people who are sinful. And he would have been justified. And if I would have asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would have had a laundry list of reasons why. 
And that punishment would have not lasted three hours on a Friday, but it would have lasted an eternity because I would have been separated from God because of my sin. That as we look at this truth, and and as we look at Jesus punishing the Son of God, the reason why is that is how God punishes those who break his command and his will. It's a tough truth. And I already told you before that we preach here both and, truth and grace. But this is the truth. And it's the truth about sin. And it's the truth about being sinful. But it's also full of grace. Because this never has to happen to anyone. Because Jesus carried it for us. This is the promise. This is the promise from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked. It's so that he will never forsake any one of us. Never. God will never forsake you. Jesus has paid the price to assure us of that. And so now as we look at the Christian faith, we no longer think of a lamb. But rather as we look at the symbol of Christianity, we look at the cross. The cross is we, we think of that, the silhouette on, on Calvary and the payment that was made for us. And so the children of Israel, as they lived, would look at the lamb and be assured that because of the sacrifice of the lamb, that God would not hurt them. And as we look at the, the cross, we are also assured not only will God not hurt us, but that God truly loves us. It becomes a symbol of his great love, and it's a a love to be celebrated. I'm telling you right now, Jeff and I were talking earlier today. This has been one of the hardest months Crosswalk has had since Jeff's been here. I don't think there has been more, definitely not more funerals. Uh, There's been a lot of pain, and I don't mean that to diminish People who have had problems in the past. I'm just telling you, this month has been hard. And and we have been doing a lot of praying, and I know you people have as well. Jesus loves you. And a day like Good Friday is exactly what you need to be assured that, that even though it might feel at some times like God has forsaken you, I promise you through the words and strength of Jesus Christ that he has not. Today is the proof of how much he does love you. And that love will continue every day of your life. We end with closing words, the lesson. And when Jesus had cried out, cried out again in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that, that through the testimony of witnesses, 
we see that you truly are the Son of God. We thank you for the journey that we have taken with you all the way from your time with Pilate, through your suffering, to the cross, and ultimately to your burial. And as we look at that ultimate sacrifice that you made, that we understand that it was for us, and it was for the sins of the entire world. And so, Lord, we ask that, that on a day like today, when, when we are somber as we consider your death, that at the same time we are joyful, knowing that your, your payment was effective, that your payment was received by our Father, and that it is finished. Uh, you have paid the, the price of sin for us. Now help us as we go from this place in certainty, knowing that you do love us, and you are with us every step of the way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now again, having heard God's word and being assured of his promises, we join in the prayer that he taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We can call it a rugged cross, a wondrous cross, a wonderful cross, and it is all of those things. And, and that is why on a day that, I guess, we call Good Friday, I uh, wonder why we don't call it Bad Friday. Uh, but it is good because Christ's death was effective and, and it uh, paid for the sins of all people of all time. And so as we leave here tonight, it just makes me think of what it was like for them on the day that Jesus was crucified as they watched him, him die. And, and it seemed like the end, but we know that it's not. And so today we do take time on Good Friday to be somber, but also to celebrate and so uh, remember that our Easter worship uh, is coming, uh, that both on Saturday and two services on Sunday. I uh, look forward to seeing you then. And the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great night. You give me joy more than my share. You fill me up with countless. Crosswalk Phoenix.com.